Hello, and welcome to another episode of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. This is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Generally speaking, we like to start with a segment where we look at all the latest news happening in Overwatch. We then move on to a segment called the Owl Recap, where we look at the previous week's matches in the Overwatch League. And we close out the show with a segment called Owl Flying At Ya, where we look at the upcoming week's games in the Overwatch League. I am, of course, your host, Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SirDRJM. Please go ahead and follow me there. Uh, send me a message. Give me suggestions. Give me tips. Give me whatever. Give me discussion topics. Give me anything you want, and perhaps I'll bring it up on the show. You can, of course, get this podcast on many podcast services. I'd like to say all podcast services, but I'm not entirely sure. However, I am on Spotify. I am on Apple Podcasts. I believe I'm on Google Podcasts as well. So look me up there. Download, subscribe, whatever you want to do, and give us a listen. Now then, without further ado, we have some pretty big news to cover this week. Um, it only looks like five news stories, but really two of them, two, three of them, one of them is really large, and uh, two of them are kind of condensed summaries of a bunch of different stories going on. So without further ado, let's take a look at the news. Our first news story is, of course, about the recently released developer update. Coming from the official Overwatch account on YouTube, there was a recent developer update released just the other day, um, of course featuring everyone's favorite Papa Jeff Kaplan. The first and probably biggest thing he discussed in this video is the competitive open queue. So if you haven't heard by now, the competitive open queue will be sticking around. Of course, the competitive open queue was uh, introduced into the arcade mode with one of the recent updates um, in order to allow people to obviously play competitive. However, without the 2-2-2 roll lock, that is now the standard competitive mode. Um, so in the video, Jeff talks about how, I guess, it was very well received in certain regions, um, not not as highly received in other regions like North America. However, he does talk about how in Korea it was actually, I can't remember if he said the first or the second most played mode. Um, however, because of the feedback they saw and because of the, uh, the adoption they saw of it, they decided that they're actually going to be making it into a permanent competitive mode. So just to kind of summarize what he said, Basically, the uh, competitive mode is now gone. The, the competitive open queue, I should say, is now gone. The one that was there just this past little while. That season has officially ended. In fact, I just turned on the game for the first time in, in a few days there, I guess since the update. And I got my rewards for completing in that, which I placed mid-gold, of course, because that's great. Um... And so that is now gone, and if you go into the arcade mode, you don't see the competitive open queue there anymore. However, as Jeff explained in this video, they will be bringing it back, again, still under the arcade mode, but for a short season. Um, Jeff said, you know, don't hold his feet to the fire, but it'll probably be coming back mid-June for a short season, um, which, of course, would be partway through season 22 of the regular competitive open, or regular competitive queue. And it'll stick around for a few weeks, like he said, a short season. And then with the end of season 22, it will go away. 
And with the start of season 23 of the regular competitive queue, it will now move into the actual competitive, uh, I guess, area, competitive card of the game. And now, or at that point going forward, you will go into competitive and you will then have the option to select a competitive open queue or go into the competitive role queue where you then also select your, you know, tank damage or support uh, role that you want to fulfill and place for and everything. So um, interesting stuff. Um, he does explicitly say that the game is going to be balanced and patched for the 2-2-2 competitive mode. However, you'll now have the option to use both. So really, um, where they previously, you know, prior to the 2-2-2 rollock, they were patching the game kind of to try and balance everyone and everything out. They then obviously shifted to balancing the game towards that rollock of 2 tank, 2 damage, 2 support. And they're going to keep doing that, even though you will now have the option to play that competitive open queue. One thing he does talk about there... Um, in the video as well relating to this is that looking at all the statistics they're able to pull in everything from this sort of experiment, if you will, um, he does actually talk about they, they believe this will help with queue times across the board. Um, as he kind of explains, you know, I, I heard some people saying, well, this is going to make queue times worse because people will now be playing that instead of the 2-2-2 uh, roll lock competitive queue. Um, and he, he actually explains that in everything they're seeing, it actually decreased the queue times, which makes sense, right? Because in, you know, in theory, I know on console at least, you have typically speaking a, well, at least from, from what I've been playing, you have a 10 minute or greater than 10 minute uh, queue time for damage players. But if you're taking, you know, let's say you take half of that pool and they move over to the competitive open queue, because that's what they would rather play, well, then you suddenly have less people sitting in line to play in the 2-2-2. So in theory, they have a shorter queue, and you also then have less people in the competitive open queue, so they have a shorter queue as well. So, you know, all around, I think this is a, a positive change. I think it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what those queue times do look like, and also it'll be interesting to see if this maybe weeds some people out. Because I think certainly... Um, some damage players that at least I get matched with aren't necessarily of the highest skill, we'll say. And granted, I mean, everyone has their games and everyone has their off games, but I think that uh, hopefully we see a bit of a quality increase in this as well um, because, you know, some of those competitive players would will gravitate to one mode or the other. Now, that was the bulk of the developer update video. However, there were a few other things that I'll just touch on quickly. One of which was uh, Jeff discussed a new experimental card. The experimental card is coming back, of course. It's you know not a permanent thing. It's not always around, but it will be coming back. Um, he goes through a lot of smaller tweaks that are happening, and you can go find, go search the internet. You can easily find all of the the tweaks that he mentions, or even the ones that he doesn't. However. Um, one of the more interesting things that I was reading, or actually I think I was listening to a Tactical Crouch podcast. If you don't listen to them, go give them a listen because they're a good one. And they were talking about one of the tweaks is actually, or one of the more significant tweaks is for Moira. And I believe what they said was her ball will have a small radius, smaller radius, so it won't do her damage orb, whatever you want to call it, will have a smaller radius, so it won't, you know, 
have as far a reach. However, it's actually going to move quicker. So it'll be obviously harder to, uh, you know, escape if you're in sort of a closed corridor or a smaller area or it's bouncing like crazy and that kind of thing. So um, on that on that podcast, I just mentioned Tactical Crouch. I'll shout them out again. They actually also talked a lot about sort of what is the point of the experimental card and I think from the beginning I always said oh this is kind of this is kind of nice because it means we are seeing uh, or we do have the option to sort of participate in a PTR like mode um, in the live game which is great mostly for console players but also because obviously um, you know you don't have to have a PTR client if that's something that you didn't want to do even on even on PC now the point they were making on Tactical Crouch was shouldn't the experimental card be different from the PTR? They were basically saying if you have PTR, you should have PTR. And if you have experimental card, you should use that for more actually experimental things. You should, you know, go crazy. Give give all support characters a huge buff and see how it affects the game. You should, um, you know change the 222 roll lock to be that sort of 123 or 321 um, build that was I think also tested and at the very least was discussed once upon a time. So I, I definitely see what they're saying. However, the one thing that I don't think they brought up or really discussed on that on tactical crouch was the fact that in my opinion, the PTR or the uh, experimental card sorry, is mostly there to bring PTR to console. Um, now that I've heard sort of that argument, which I hadn't even considered before, I think that they must have mostly been trying to say, hey, we need a way to test these things on console, these things that were previously only available on PTR, obviously there isn't a PTR on console, let's introduce this into the live game so that we can test them there and get some console player feedback as well. So, interesting stuff, um, and like I say, I kind of wanted to discuss that because that was an argument I'd never heard of, um, so, who knows? Anyways, it's coming back. There will be some interesting things in there. Moving on from there, the final thing I want to talk about from the developer update was the... Um, Jeff just kind of touched on it because it has already been out there and, you know, most people have probably heard by now. But since Jeff mentioned it, I do want to talk about it. So he talked about the, the changes to the hero pools. Um, basically, to summarize, you know, the hero pools no longer apply to matches below 3500 SR. So for most of us, for the vast majority of people you're not playing with any hero uh, hero bands. So I know I certainly am not. You know, I'm mostly playing gold, so doesn't affect me. Um, one thing, one distinction that he did make that I think is important to make is that it no longer applies to matches below 3,500 SR. So it's not player-specific. If your personal SR is above 3,500, but your team that you get matched with has an overall SR of less than 3,500, which I, I'm not sure, it must be an average, but I know when you go into a, a match, it says at the top there what SR both teams are are at. If your match's SR is less than 3,500, or your team's match, I guess, then you won't, the hero pool's bans won't apply. If it's more, then it will, obviously. So regardless, um, another distinction Jeff made was that when the Owl season is ongoing, hero pools are now going to be determined from Owl because they see that as the highest level of play, which you know, debate about contenders versus Owl, you know, aside, I do think is probably the right call to make. It's just more consistent. It's an easier, 
um, easier statistic for them to pull as well, I'm sure. And then he said when they're not in season, it's going to be pulled from those higher level 3,500 plus SR uh, players. So that was it for the developer update. Um, it was, you know, seven and a half, eight minutes long, um, not a super long one and not, you know, honestly, not a ton of information in there. However, uh, exciting to hear about the competitive open queue because I did enjoy it, you know, as someone who typically plays support characters, um, but does like playing the damage characters as well. It was nice to, to have that option to say, oh, you know, I want to play damage character, but honestly, I don't want to wait 10 minutes. So, or more, honestly. So I just kind of jumped over to the competitive open queue and obviously did all my placements, played uh, quite a bit of it. And I think I actually placed higher in that than I have in my 222 damage queue in previous seasons. I actually placed pretty low in the 222 damage. However, in the competitive open queue, I actually placed on the higher end of where I've placed overall. Um, you know, not like I was placing top 500 or anything like that, but I placed gold, which is better than the bronze that I was talking about before. Moving on from there, I have a new segment of the show, a new segment that will hopefully not stick around, or at least half of it won't stick around. I've kind of mashed two segments together just so I can cover a whole bunch of different news stories um, all in one go. But that said, uh, like I say, I guess I shouldn't say I hope it doesn't stick around because it's not necessarily a bad thing. However, it is kind of a bad look in a lot of ways. But anyways, let me get to it. The segment I am calling right now is who's retiring next and who's getting signed. Now, I'll jump right in there. Like I say, this is mostly about who's retiring. However, a few people have been signed or moved around kind of thing, which is great. Um, always good to see players progressing and developing themselves or moving from, you know, maybe different leagues into OWL, that kind of thing. So this is, of course, focused on the Overwatch League, and it is who's leaving teams, who's getting signed, who's being brought in, etc., etc. So it's gathered around the web from various sources, so I'll just throw that out there. But it goes like this. Um, the first team I want to look at is the Paris Eternal, because, of course, they announced that flex support Louis Gray Perestrello is retiring from the Overwatch League. If you want to, you can go read up about him. You can find out what exactly he said. Um, he didn't say he was pursuing anything else at this time. Um, however, you know, obviously we wish him all the best. And uh, with Paris looking as they do, you know, right now they're in ninth place. Um, however, I do think they're a pretty strong team. They're definitely a top 10 team right now. Um, we'll see what happens, you know, over this upcoming weekend. However, um, all the best to him and them. Moving on from there, the bigger, or a couple of the bigger stories this past week uh, came from the Washington Justice side of things. So first we had, I believe it was on Thursday of last week, so two days before the weekend's matches, Hitscan player Corey announced he was retiring from Overwatch to pursue a pro-Valorant career. Obviously, this is a big deal because um, Corey definitely, I mean, if you go back and listen to the first couple episodes, I know I talked a lot about Corey because I really enjoyed watching Corey's play. Um, I know in the Overwatch World Cup this past year, Corey was a big player on Team USA and really helped them get to their win. You know, um, it was it was a great team with Sinatra on it as well. Obviously, Sinatra has already left, as we've covered before. But now, Corey announcing he's leaving to pursue a pro-Valorant career. Obviously, again, a big deal because, yet again, we see another big-name player leaving for Valorant. Now, Corey, I think, 
had a little more discussion or in his post he made announcing this or, or explaining it a little more he did say that you know he he came from a counter-strike background he loves counter-strike he wanted to be a pro counter-strike player and when valorant came out obviously if you've watched valorant if you've followed it at all you know it's more of a counter-strike focused game with elements i would say from overwatch it definitely has it more shooter focused um and less of that sort of uh, fantasy hero focus, even though the characters have abilities and have, you know, ults, basically. But regardless, interesting stuff to see that Corey is not only leaving, but also announcing exactly why. And also interesting that he didn't actually say he's signed to a team or anything like that. Now, who knows how long it'll take him to get picked up or anything like that. Um, you know, I do think that these these companies that are planning for Valorant teams and everything... It's great that they're planning and it's great that, you know, they're starting to build things. But I do also think, you know, we might be a little ways out from hearing about a real uh, Valorant League or anything like that. So all the best to Corey. Like I say, amazing player. Um, Washington will miss him for sure, especially as one of uh, one of the hitscan greats, um, hitscan gems they had on that team. But moving on from there... Um, I believe it was the next day, so Friday, the day before uh, their Saturday match, their, one of their other main damage players, Ethan Stratus Yankel, of course, Stratus, retiring from Overwatch, and he, of course, announced he was going to pursue a content creation career. Now, um, Stratus and Corey, I think, for a lot of this season, for any of the success that Washington has had, which has not been a ton... Uh, they've kind of gone hand in hand. They were definitely both making a big impact with the Washington Justice, and they were both definitely exciting to watch play. Um, Stratus definitely has a, a, a flair for content creation. I know if you follow him online or if you follow the Washington Justice online, they, they haven't been shy about that. So good for him for, you know, deciding to go out on his own and do that. Um, you know, I'd be curious what what the money was saying in the background there. Um, but hey, he's, he's a young guy and obviously he's going to make his own decisions. So we wish him all the best as well. Moving on from there. That's right. We've got another one. We've actually, we're only about halfway through this. So as I mentioned, you know, lots of people leaving the game or leaving the league, which <laughs> I'm not here to really discuss that. Um, you know, if maybe if I if I had a co-host here, we would kind of go back and forth on that. However, if you want to go listen to the Tactical Crouch podcast, they talk a lot about the uh, players leaving and and things like that. They actually just had their hundredth episode, which is actually how I found them. I just you know found they were having their hundredth episode, figured I'd give them a try, and really enjoyed it. But my point: go listen to their hundredth episode. Um, it's the one with Christopher, who is one of the assistant coaches for the Philadelphia Fusion. Great episode. But regardless, they talk about the state of the game and players leaving and things like that, which isn't something I'm going to go into right now. I just want to cover these players leaving. But we're only halfway. Let me keep going. Boston Uprising is the next team I want to talk about because off-tank Thomas Brusson, or Brusson, 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 um, it was announced that he is leaving the team. Uh, he's retiring from Overwatch as well. Um, I don't have much to say about him just because obviously I haven't followed Boston nearly as closely or know them as nearly as well as I know uh, the Washington team. However, Boston obviously has been having a very troublesome season. They're currently sitting at a record of 1-10. and 10. 
with a negative 25 uh, map differential. So they are struggling. I, it seems like every week I'm covering them and their uh, their players leaving the team and that kind of thing, retiring from the game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so here's yet another one: Thomas Brusson, um, off tank for for the Boston Uprising. Uh, obviously, we wish him all the best, just like everyone else. But away he goes. And now this one was actually, I wouldn't say softened because these were actually announced in reverse order, but. Boston also announced that they signed Leighton Punk Gilchrist as Thomas's replacement, as Brusson's replacement. Now, they didn't announce him as a replacement. They, like I say, they announced they signed him as off-tank first, which to me was like, oh, wow, Boston's actually making some moves since they've been bleeding players so badly and having such an off-season. But then they announced that off-tank Thomas Brusson was leaving. So, you know, good for Punk. Uh, being brought onto the team, being brought into the league. Um, at this point, I think Boston's season, it's going to be very, very hard for them to come back from the record they have with only one win. Um, however, hey, you never know. Maybe they have a game this upcoming weekend that they might stand a chance of winning. Maybe they don't. Moving on from there, Toronto Defiant. Um, making moves. Now, this one, not a, uh, not a really a signing, not really a retiring. Um, Liam Mangachu Campbell on the DPS side of things. He's not leaving. He's not moving. He's actually transitioning to a coach role. So the way they announced this, they actually said, um, he's going to be transitioning to coach. He will still play on the roster if needed. However, um, as I mentioned, he's a DPS player and, uh, Toronto has, uh, pretty strong lineup on their DPS side of things with, uh, you know, Surefor in sort of the flex damage role with Logics in a damage role. Um, they've got they've got some decent talent on the damage side. So he honestly, I don't think he was getting much playtime. I know we haven't been seeing him in a ton of matches. Oh, um, also Agilities. So they've got some good good names, good players on the DPS side. Um, so, you know, congrats to him. That's a that's that's the kind of thing we like to see. Um, I mean, obviously, we like to see players getting signed. We like to see players pursuing their own thing. But obviously, we also want to see the talent in the league. So good to see him moving on in, in that capacity. And obviously, um, staying within the organization, right? Promote from within kind of thing is, is always exciting. So that's all on the Toronto side. Now, the final one is, of course, related I wish I could say this about, I wish I could say there were more stories like this. Um, however, I'm sure there will be in the coming weeks. But this one, I'm excited to announce, well, I'm not announcing it. I'm excited to cover that Flex Support Slime is going over to the Seoul Dynasty after being released from the Vancouver Titans. So, of course, as we talked about last uh, ep- last week's episode, the Vancouver Titans uh, of yore, the Vancouver Titans of runaway fame, are no more. That roster was entirely let go, and this will tie into my next story. Um, and because of that, all the players seemingly are able to go to other teams if they want to or if they can. Um, and this is hopefully, like I say, the first of more to come. But uh, Slime announced just the other day that he is has is now signed with the Seoul Dynasty. Exciting stuff there. Very happy for him. Um, and hopefully... Seoul has a good weekend upcoming with Slime in the roster. Moving on from there, our next news story. Now, this one is a big one. Um, I'm going to read quite a bit of the article, um, but 
stick with me. And also, go to .esports.com. Give Liz Richardson the read on this one. So it goes like this. Vancouver Titans sign new roster of second wind global Overwatch contenders players. So now before I get into the article, of course, last week I covered the implosion of the Vancouver Titans as we knew them. And at the time of recording, there wasn't anything confirmed about the new roster. This, of course, is the confirmation. So if you watched the games last weekend, you obviously already know this because they played with the new roster. And it was, you know, in a lot of ways, the talk of the town on the on the cast and on many podcasts and things like that. However, um, as it happened after my last episode, I needed to cover it. So here we go. Diving into the article. Days after the Vancouver Titans organization released its entire roster amid reports of dissatisfaction from players, the team is starting anew. The organization has picked up a team full of Western Overwatch contenders talent, culled mostly from the roster of North American contenders team Second Wind. And a little further in the article, the acquisition of Second Wind players was originally projected by ESPN. Second Wind is a team that participates in North American Overwatch contenders. As for the remainder of the roster, the Titans organization opted to curate talent from contenders players around the world. Now I'm going to, again, jump a little bit in the article, and now I'm going to read a little bit more of it, and this actually covers all of the players. On the support side... As a part of sec of the second wind pickup, the Titans have acquired competitive over oh, sorry Overwatch veteran Randall Rolf Stark. The flex support previously played for the Los Angeles Gladiators Academy team, Gladiators Legion, as well as Team Canada in the 2016 and 2017 Overwatch World Cup competitions. He's joined by main support Carson Karkar first, who was recently played for Atlanta Reigns Contenders Academy team, Atlanta Academy or ATL Academy. The now-defunct team took second place at the Contenders Gauntlet event last year. On the tank side, the Titans' new tank line will be headed by Abton Shredlock Shervani, a young main tank who has been playing for Second Wind since mid-2019. Off-tank, Alhumaidi KSA Alruwaili will join him. KSA currently plays for Raspberry Racers in the European Division of Overwatch Contenders. He also played for Saudi Arabia in the 2019 Overwatch World Cup. The team made significant strides in the primary matches of co the competition, impressing top-tier talent along the way. DPS. Vancouver's new DPS lineup includes Second Wind's Dalton Dalton Benioff, a hitscan player who was formerly a part of Gladiators Legion and Toronto Esports. The flex DPS position will be filled by Samir Suna Ikram, a French player who is currently a part of Disaster in Overwatch Contenders Europe. Suna also played for the Paris Eternals Academy team Eternal Academy before the players were released last month. Three players from Second Wind's latest roster, main support Benjamin Ultraviolet, David Zachary Iced Hughes, and DPS Nicholas Speedily Zhao are under the age of 18 and cannot participate in the Overwatch League. Another member of Second Wind, off-tank Colin Hygen Arai, was reportedly set to join his teammates on the Titans, but was denied a contract due to a history of toxicity within the scene. The new Vancouver Titans squad will have little time to prepare as a team, but at least the team will be present for their next match. They face off against the Washington Justice at 4pm CT on May 9th. So, of course... Very interesting stuff, very exciting, um, and, you know, obviously tons of controversy and everything around this. Um, honestly, my brain says where to begin. Um, 
there's there was a lot of good in that there's you know i i i like to think we're over all the bad you know all the drama that happened around the players and the previous organiz or previous uh i guess players and management staff um is behind us as a vancouver titans fan it is hard to look at the organization the same but it is also hard to not forgive um you know I personally believe that uh, everyone deserves a second chance, and we should obviously give the organization a second chance to be better. Having been a week since this was actually announced now, it does look like things are already improving. Um, it's hard to say on the player side of things. However, they've already been um, promoting the team more and things like that. I'm hoping they actually see the fact that, you know, just because it's a video game doesn't mean it's it shouldn't be taken seriously and doesn't mean that the community involvement and things like that shouldn't be uh, promoted in the same way um, that so, an organization like the uh, Vancouver Canucks, their, their NHL team, is and everything like that. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm necessarily a huge Vancouver Titans fan anymore, but I'll still cover them. Um, I'm obviously still always going to have a curiosity as to how they're doing and everything like that. So exciting to see this. Exciting to see new talent coming into the league. Um, and obviously, you know, that's nothing against any of the old players. Obviously, we all love the old players, um, especially with the history with Runaway and everything like that. And we obviously want to see them land on their feet. As I mentioned, you know, one of my favorite stories of this week and that I, is what I just talked about with uh, Slime going to the Seoul Dynasty. Um, I can't wait to see where other players uh, end up, especially, you know, Hacksaw comes to mind, obviously Rookie of the Year last year, um, as well as, you know, some of my personal favorites, uh, Twilight and Stitch, um, and nothing against any of the other players. I, I am a big fan of all of them, so it'll be very exciting to see where they land soon. But there you have it. There's your new Vancouver Titans roster. Um, it is an interesting one. They are, you know, in a lot of ways less experienced. They definitely, obviously, have not uh, had the cohesion of a team who's been training together a lot. But we'll get into that a little more when I get to their match from Saturday. The final news story that I'm going to cover this week, however... Um, was announced just yesterday, actually, on my birthday, May 14th. And it reads like this. This is from DottieSports.com. Max Miscelli writes, Overwatch's 2020 anniversary event starts May 19th. This year's Overwatch anniversary event will begin on Tuesday, May 19th, and run through June 9th, Blizzard announced today. While patch notes for the event haven't been officially released yet, a since-deleted post by community manager Josh Nash leaked information regarding a few heroes that are set to get new legendary skins next week. Along with the new rewards, the tweet by the Overwatch account also promises access to previous season bra seasonal brawls via the game's arcade mode. A screen grab of the leaked patch notes posted earlier this week revealed that Reaper, Mercy, and Ash should all be slated to receive fresh legendary skins for the upcoming event. Based on Overwatch's history of hyping up events, fans will likely see a sneak peek of some of these skins in the coming days before they go live. In addition to those legendary skins, anniversary loot boxes will be set to include new epic skins like Carbon Fiber Sigma, Fleur de Lis Widowmaker, and Masked Man McCree. As, a tradition, as is tradition with the anniversary event, loot boxes can also contain skins and items from any previous seasonal Overwatch events, so get ready to farm the arcade for some of those legendary skins that you might have missed out on in the past. So there you go. That's the Overwatch uh, anniversary event announcement. I'm very much looking forward to it. There's a couple skins that I uh, would love to grab or, or at least get at a smaller price if I can. 
And that's that. So moving on from there, our next section of the show is the Owl Recap, where we look at the previous week's matches in the Overwatch League. Now, I actually didn't watch a ton of Overwatch League last week, and uh, you know what? I think it was good for my sanity. I think that I'm going to probably do this a little more. I will touch on each game just, you know, in the very most basic of way. However, there's a few games that I will highlight. So, first things first, on Saturday, May 9th, we saw the Shanghai Dragons face off against the Seoul Dynasty. Now, this one, I think ended up surprising a lot of people with the Seoul Dynasty coming out 3-2 to two over the Shanghai Dragons. Map 1 went to the Shanghai Dragons 2-0. and oh. So obviously it looked like another dominant uh, win for Shanghai there was coming. But then on map 2 Rialto it went 2-1 to one to Seoul. Map 3 on King's Row went 5-4 to four for Seoul. And map 4 went the way of Shanghai 2-1 to one on Temple of Anubis. And finally, map five was Busan, and it went two to one to Seoul. So definitely an exciting match, I'm sure. Um, obviously, I didn't watch this match because uh, the time zones and everything, and I didn't catch a recap or anything like that. From what I've heard, Seoul might be the best team. I believe what I was hearing was at a double shield comp. Um, they definitely have a very well-built team around that, and I think that could be why they were able to... Uh, really take on um, Shanghai so well in this case. Um, from what I was hearing, they play a mean Orisa Sigma. So that could be why that wound up the way it did. However, surprising loss for Shanghai, leaving them in second place with a record of 10 and two and uh, giving Seoul a, a, I'm sure much, much needed and much deserved win, putting them at four and three, placing them sixth overall right now. Moving on from there, the London Spitfire took on the Chengdu Hunters and beat them out zero. Or sorry, beat them out three to zero. So, you know, good job, London. Great seeing you guys back in action. And obviously, you know, uh, seemingly a bit of a balance there. You know, they're winning some, they're losing some. Not super dominant, but not dropping to the bottom either. Moving on from there, the next game in the Asia region was the Gangzhou Charge taking on the New York Excelsior. Now this one, I think also surprised a lot of people, going the way of Gangzhou with a record of 3-1. and one. So the match went like this. Uh, map 1 was Nepal, which Gangzhou took 2-0. Map 2 was Watchpoint Gibraltar, which went to New York 3-2. And then King's Row went 3-1 for Gangzhou, and Temple of Anubis went 3-2 for Gangzhou as well. So another, uh, you know, I would say unexpected uh, loss, honestly, for New York. New York previously looking quite dominant. Do I think they still are? Yes, I do. Um, they're currently sitting in fourth place with a record of 8-3, and three, whereas Gangzhou has now broken the top 10 officially. They're sitting in 10th with a record of 7-6. and six. So good win for Gangzhou. I'm sure that's going to do wonders for their confidence as well. Moving on from there, first game of the week that I actually did catch was the Paris Eternal taking on the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now, it did go the way of Paris with a record of 3-1. and one. Um, However, Los Angeles Gladiators not looking bad. Um, map 1 actually went to LA. Um, on Oasis, it went 2-0 to LA. Uh, Paris took the next three maps, Junkertown, Hollywood, and Volskaya. However, just looking at some of the notes I wrote down here, um, 
Paris struggling on Echo. It was interesting because uh, I think they had Nico on Echo for a while there, and he really didn't seem to be making much of an impact, which I think could have played a role in uh, why Los Angeles was able to take Oasis. Um, that said, it's not like he stopped playing Echo at that point, so, you know, who knows, maybe it was an off-map. Um, but overall, I didn't think Nico was making a huge impact on Echo. Hollywood, uh, which was map 3, was actually quite an interesting map. Um, I thought it was really back and forth for a while there, um, with Paris making some sort of risky, aggressive plays. Um, they had no smite on Winston for a while there, and he would kind of dive in and dive out, which, I mean, I get it. That's the point of Winston. But it sometimes, I would say it worked about 50% of the time. Um, sometimes it seemed to work really well, and then other times it was almost like he just jumped in and died. So really interesting stuff there. But uh, overall, obviously, it worked out for Paris as they took the win. Um, the one, one overall thing that I would say about this, and, you know, maybe it's above me, but Los Angeles was playing Mirror on Sombra most of the time. And I really didn't feel it was paying off for them. Um, now, what the direction, what direction was given there, or what coaching he had there, I'm not sure. Um, but overall, I didn't feel like Sombra was making a huge impact against Paris. It felt like Paris playing Sombra was doing much better than LA playing Sombra. So I, um, I almost wonder if uh, LA would have seen a little more success if they had pulled Mirror off Sombra and put him on. Uh, somebody else I, i'm not even sure what other character uh mirrors mirror would have necessarily been more successful at but i do think that you know maybe if they had changed that to counter a little more that could have helped them moving on from there the next game of the weekend and one that i definitely did catch was the washington justice playing against the vancouver titans as i mentioned before you know, I'm going to stay away from all the drama, but this was the new Vancouver Titans roster, and it did end up going the way of Washington with a record of 3-1. and one. So that's a big deal because, yes, it was a new team for Vancouver. Yes, Washington is kind of shit right now. Um, obviously, going into this weekend, they just lost Corey. Um, they'd announced that they just lost uh, Stratus. However, he agreed to stay and play that weekend's games. Whether that's a roster thing where they wouldn't have had enough players, I'm not sure. Um, I, I doubt it because I didn't see any signings on the Washington side. However, um, I do think it was probably like a, hey, we just lost Corey. We don't want to necessarily do this to the team. Can we keep you for this game? And he obviously agreed to play one more farewell game. So so anyways, it went the way of Washington 3-1 to one, um, with an odd map for Vancouver um, to take, I feel like, just because uh, it was fairly even, but they wound up taking it. So anyways, map 1 was Busan, and it went 2-1 to one for Washington. Map 2 was Junkertown, and it went 3-2 to two for Washington. And map 3 was Hollywood, and it actually went 3-2 to two for Vancouver. Interesting stuff there. And then map four was Temple of Anubis, and it went two to one for the Washington Justice. So overall, it was a, an interesting match. I don't think there were a ton of expectations on the Vancouver side going into this game, being that this team was essentially assembled at some point last week. It was announced, I think, on Friday. I want to say it was announced on Saturday before the game. I, I can't quite remember when it was announced, Friday or Saturday. But, uh, but it was an interesting one. Um, 
Obviously, there's not a ton to say about Washington. Good job on them for getting the win, a much-needed win. They're still sitting in 19th with a record of 3-9. and nine. Um, So, you know, and they just lost two of their important DPS players, but whatever, we'll see how they turn out. However, focusing on Vancouver, just because they're obviously the news story here, um, just having gone over their players, you know, Dalton looked really good on DPS. Um, he seemed to be... Uh, I wouldn't say carrying, but he seemed to be really comfortable. He seemed to be doing a great job, um, you know, playing that role well. Um, he was playing some Tracer, and he definitely looked great on Tracer. So exciting stuff there. Um, on the tank side, I actually thought their tank line was doing really well. They had KSA on off tank, um, playing a lot of D.Va, and I really liked his D.Va play. Um, one thing to mention about KSA was there were a lot of rumors about his ping um, as he was playing from Saudi Arabia. So a lot of people saying that his play was really impressive and he supposedly had a 200 ping. So, you know, take that out of the equation and does he get even better? You know, we'll see, but definitely exciting stuff there. Shredlock as well on the tank line. Um, he played a lot of Winston. He played a lot of Orisa and he also looked really good. So like I say, looking like a strong tank line, um, definitely something to build off of there. The backline of Rolf and Karkar, um, it was really kind of hard to say how well or how impressed with them I was or anyone was. And the reason for that is because Washington was doing a very good job of taking them out. Um, Washington played a very jump into the back line, kill your healers, and then kill the rest of the team kind of game. Now, I think that was kind of a kind of a little bit, obviously, of rookie play on Vancouver's part, where they should have been expecting that. They should have countered that. They should have had... Um, you know, either group up a little more or had their players ready to drop back and protect their healers. Um, you know, that's not necessarily something you see at this level of play a lot. Um, when someone does get into the back line, oftentimes they're able to, you know, maybe take out one healer but not the other. And it seemed like, um, I can't remember if it was Stratus who was getting into the back line, but they were just griefing the back line quite a bit. So interesting stuff there. Um, on the ping side of things, um, you know, there were also rumors that Suno was playing from France. Well, I think that was confirmed, but that he was playing with a pretty big, pretty bad ping. So, you know, having maybe half of your damage line playing with that isn't great. Overall, honestly, just to sum things up, it was a very scrappy game at times. Um, but the big takeaway was Vancouver held their own. You know, they obviously they did get a map against Van, uh, against Washington, which... It could have easily been 3-0. I mean, as we'll see coming up here, um, it was uh, a 3-0 game when they played on Sunday against the Florida Mayhem. So anyways, interesting stuff. Um, on the positive side, when they played together, they looked really good. Um, take away that ping, which, you know, again, hard to say how much of a factor that is, but it does affect the game. Take that away, and they probably look a lot stronger. Um, they definitely need to tighten the screws. They need to get a little more of that team energy, team synergy going on, that kind of thing. But again, they had just formed. This was probably the first time a lot of them were playing together or one of the very first times. Um, at least some of them were playing with each other. Obviously, some of them were taken right from second win, so those guys have played together. But some of the outsiders, you know, hard to get them in and, you know, really cohesive with the group. So... As well, hard to say what is nerves, hard to say what is new teammates, circumstances overall, um, especially, you know, with the former roster being taken out of things and everything. There were, there was a lot of pressure on them, so um, overall, seems like they handled it 
relatively well or as well as you could expect. On the bad side, there were a couple things that I wanted to point out. They did have some pretty poor ult usage, um, just ults that seem to either do nothing or be easily countered or just, you know, seem totally random. Now, I think that does play into the ping side of things a little more because we did see some weird diva bombs from uh, from KSA. However, again, if, if, you know, his ping was bad and he launched that, he could have thought that was totally good. And then obviously it gets nobody because everyone is actually, you know, 10 feet away from that or whatever right um as well they they seem to make some kind of more rookie level plays where they were really singling people out you know they would have a lot of these sort of off to the side 1v1s that for the most part they were losing so all of that i think comes as the team becomes more of a team and works together more and gets used to each other and and you know maybe they didn't have a dedicated shot caller it's hard to say what's going on there but anyways that's what that looked like Moving on from there, we had two more games on Saturday. One was the Houston Outlaws taking on the Atlanta Reign. That went the way of Atlanta, 3-0. The final game of Saturday was the Boston Uprising against the Los Angeles Valiant, and the Los Angeles Valiant took that 3-0. Moving on to Sunday, May 10th, Mother's Day. We saw the Shanghai Dragons take on the Hangzhou Spark, and this time things went a little better for Shanghai, taking it 3-0. We then saw the Gangzhou Charge taking on the London Spitfire and taking that win 3-1. The next game was the first game at a reasonable time for me to catch. However, I was a little busy and only caught the very end of it. And it was the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Dallas Fuel. Now, this game actually looked really good. It was very exciting. And Dallas, the the score does not reflect the game Dallas played. Um, Dallas is, in my opinion... Um, maybe looking like one of, you know, if there was an award for most improved, they had a rough start to the season and they have a rough, um, schedule as well, but they look really good and they look really strong and I want to see them get some wins. Didn't go their way in this match. However, um, Philly definitely, uh, I think was probably a little bit surprised at how Dallas held up. Map 1 was on Busan, and it went to Philadelphia, 2-1. Map 2 was on Watchpoint Gibraltar, and it went 4-3 for Dallas. Map 3 was Blizzard World, went 3-2 for Philly. And Map 4 was Temple of Anubis, which went 4-3 for Philadelphia as well. Moving on from there, we then had the Toronto Defiant facing off against the San Francisco Shock. Now this one actually kind of a very similar vein as the Dallas Fuel against a Philadelphia Fusion game just before it. Um, I think Toronto Defiant definitely looked stronger than necessarily the score reflects. That said, you know, San Francisco is obviously the the better team, the stronger team, the more well-rounded team. But Toronto, I think, deserved a little better score than 3-1. to one. So Map 1 went to Toronto on Oasis 2-1. to one. Map 2 was Rialto, and it went 5-4 to four for San Francisco. Map 3 was Kings Row, and it went 6-5 to five for San Francisco. And Map 4 was Hanamaro, which went 1-0 and oh for San Francisco. Now, um, what to say about this match? Obviously, Toronto started off strong. I think you really saw Toronto not necessarily dictating the play, but you saw San Francisco reacting a little more to Toronto, which isn't something you always see from San Francisco. I think a lot of the time San Francisco just dictates the play, just controls things, and it's all about them. Whereas obviously on map one, um, you know, Toronto actually started with a double shield comp. San Francisco went dive, and then they quickly changed because I think they realized that, you know, when it comes to double shield, obviously the the smarter move is to mirror the comp. But regardless, um, Toronto sort of making that caller earlier on. So interesting stuff. 
Toronto had some good plays. Um, Kareev really popped off on Moira. Logic's popping off on McCree. He got a few really good Deadeye uh, multi-kills there. Um, and then, I mean, if you watch if you watch any of this match, watch the third map, King's Row, because San Francisco at one point, you know, it looked really dominant from San Francisco. It also at times looked really dominant from Toronto. However, San Francisco at one point was just like, Choi, pop it. And he popped the fuck off. He wrecked them. You know, Choi Oban did what he did. I think dude definitely deserves an award of some sort this season because he didn't get one last season and he really deserved it last season as well. Choi Oban, definitely one of the best off tanks in the league, if not the best in my opinion. Um, and then also Moth with a huge 3k boop um, on that second last turn uh, just leading up to the end of King's Row. So anyways, overall, really exciting match. Um, would have loved to see Toronto, you know, do a little better. But I mean, hey, like I say, every week it seems like Toronto should be doing better than they are. Um, but I digress. Moving on from there. Uh, the final match of the weekend, I won't talk about too much. Uh, it was the Florida Mayhem against the Vancouver Titans, and Florida took it 3-0. and um, I already discussed, obviously, Vancouver um, and their team and everything. Not surprising to see them lose this one, but would have hoped for at least a map like they took against Washington. But hey, Florida, better team than Washington for sure. Now with that win, Florida is actually sitting in 5th place with a record of 6-4. and four. Vancouver sitting in 16th with a record of 2-4. and four. So, anyways... Interesting weekend, lots of good matches. Um, Toronto against San Francisco was great. Dallas against uh, uh, Philadelphia was really fun to see. Um, obviously great to see the new Vancouver roster playing and see what they could do or can't do or where they need to improve and things like that. And then some good matches on the uh, Asia region side as well. Um, you know, I'm sure Seoul Dynasty fans were thrilled to see a win against Shanghai. Um, London Spitfire fans, now that London's playing regularly again, a big win on Saturday for them. And then as well, I mean, Gangzhou Charge taking one, taking a win against New York. You know, not too shabby on their part for sure. New York sitting in fourth with eight and three. So moving on from there, uh, the final segment of the show is called Owl Flying At Ya. And this is where we look at next week's games, the upcoming week's games. So now I'm recording this episode late. I meant to record yesterday, but I was a little too tired. So I'm recording it on Friday before the Saturday. It is actually, in fact, now Saturday because it's past midnight. Um, so I'll get this episode out uh, right after I cover these. So, this upcoming weekend's games, I have looked at the schedule already, I often try not to do that, but I want to see if Vancouver was playing, and they are playing on Saturday and Sunday, because they're now having to catch up to the rest of the league in terms of games played. So, anyways, at 2am Mountain Time, because that's where I am, the Seoul Dynasty take on the Chengdu Hunters. Um, that'll be an interesting one, because Chengdu is one of the more unpredictable teams, Seoul, hopefully, coming off that big win against Shanghai, um, has some tricks up, up their sleeve. And also, hopefully, we get to see Slime in play there, um, because that would be very exciting. So I would like to see Seoul win that one. Moving on from there, we have the Shanghai Dragons against the London Spitfire. Um, I definitely do think Shanghai is going to win, even though they had that big loss last weekend um, against Gangzhou. But I do think that Shanghai is still very strong. The New York Excelsior against Hangzhou Spark. Um, this could be an interesting one, just because New York in the past hasn't been great coming bouncing off a win or off a loss. Sorry, um, they are obviously the stronger team, I think, in this case. But it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Moving on from there, first game at a reasonable time for me, Saturday, 1 p.m. is the Vancouver Titans taking off, taking against, uh, fighting against the Houston Outlaws. 
Now, Houston is currently sitting in 17th place with a record of 4 and 9. Vancouver is sitting in 16th place with a record of 2 and 4. I personally have a history of hating on the Houston Outlaws. They're the lesser of the two uh, Texan teams, if you ask me, and I don't like them. And Harsha left the Vancouver Titans for the Houston Outlaws. So overall, I want to see the Vancouver Titans win this one. Do I think that's really going to happen? I mean, hey, hopefully they had a really strong week of practice. Hopefully they can pull this one out. At the very least, I hope they get a map. Because they got a map against the Washington Justice. All I want to see is improvement. <laughs> if they can get a map against the Houston Outlaws, who are a better team than the Washington Justice, especially minus Corey and minus uh, Stratus, I want to see them win this one. Or I want to see them take a map, at least. I'm not going to place a bet, though, because I don't want to jinx anything. Moving on from there, 3 p.m. on Saturday, we have the Florida Mayhem taking on the Washington Justice. This should be an easy one for Florida, especially how they clowned out uh, Vancouver last weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to them clowning out Washington, and I, although I am interested to see who Washington has on the DPS side of things. Moving on from there, we have a 5 o'clock game with the Los Angeles Gladiators taking on the Boston Uprising. I think, obviously, it should come as no surprise that the Los Angeles Gladiators better win this one. Um, again, you know, Boston losing another player, even though they brought in a new one, but they kind of had to. Boston being a last-place team, and Los Angeles sitting in 11th right now with a record of 4-4. Four and four. Um, This is a must-win for Los Angeles, uh, and I think it's realistic to think that they will take it. Moving on from there, final game of Saturday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time is the San Francisco Shock taking on the Atlanta Rain. Now, San Francisco sitting in third place currently with a record of 7-2. and two, And down from there, the Atlanta Rain are in eighth with a record of 5-4. and four. Now, San Francisco, I think, definitely has benefited from their schedule this season. Obviously, for the first couple of weeks, all we saw was San Francisco playing the Los Angeles Valiant and the Los Angeles Gladiators. However, Atlanta... Not necessarily the strongest team to take a win from them, but they stand a chance. All I'm looking for here is to see Atlanta take a cup, put San Francisco on the line. I want to see them uh, really, really put San Francisco on the edge, really push them. I'd love to see Atlanta win this one. If Atlanta does win, they get seven wins and five losses. They jump higher in the standings. I, I don't understand how the standings work anymore, so I'm not even going to say where, but we see San Francisco drop to 7-3. and three. They stay right in that same area they're in. They probably drop to 4-5th kind of thing. But regardless, I'd like to see Atlanta make some good action here. Moving on from there, first Sunday game in the Asia region is the Gangzhou Charge against the Chengdu Hunters. I have no prediction there because I haven't followed either team really. Sunday 4 a.m. we have the Hangzhou Spark taking on the London Spitfire. Um, you know, I'd like to see London win one there um, just because... It's always exciting to see London win these days. Um, London is in 7th right now, so that'll jump them with a record of 4-4. Four and four. That'll jump them up a little bit, maybe one spot. Depends on how Souls games go as well. Moving on from there, Sunday at 1 p.m., we have the first uh, reasonable match for me to watch, which is the Dallas Fuel against the Paris Eternal. As I mentioned before, Dallas obviously climbing the rankings, um, looking for those wins, those big wins when they can get them, and also looking strong. The Paris Eternal looking a little more middling. Um, you know, it seems like every match Paris has, it's almost a coin toss if they're going to win or lose. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how which Paris shows up this week. 
3 p.m. on Sunday, we have the Philadelphia Fusion playing against the Vancouver Titans. Now, this one, all I'm going to ask for here is that the Vancouver Titans put up something of a fight. I won't be surprised if they get totally clowned out, though. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. It may be a very quick match, though. Moving on from there, final game of the weekend is the Toronto Defiant against the Los Angeles Valiant. Now, Toronto sitting in 15th place, 4-7, and seven, and the Los Angeles Valiant sitting in 14th place, 4-6. and six. So, Toronto stands to gain a little bit from this match. Um, I, well, I mean, honestly, both teams stand, stand to gain from this match, but I think Toronto benefits more, obviously, because they will move up uh, looks like to about from about 15 to 12 or 13 kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I, traditionally I've, I've cheered for both the LA teams. I've cheered for Toronto. I don't know who will win this one. This one could actually be a pretty fun game to watch because I think they're two pretty evenly matched teams. But like I say, this past weekend, Toronto looked really good against San Francisco. The record obviously went to San Francisco three to one, but Toronto looked stronger than I think they ever have. Um, so I'm excited to see that one as well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the final uh, match of the week. So that will be week 15 in the Overwatch League. So it'll be exciting to see uh, where the chips fall. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And there are definitely a few games there that I want to see. Oh, I forgot to cover my big big losers, big winners. Uh, from the past week, big winners, the gang's out charge, obviously, um, coming up on top of things and beating out the New York Excelsior. And the big losers, unfortunately, my Vancouver Titans. However, again, all circumstances considered, they did, I would say, about as you'd expect. For some, I think they did uh, better than you would expect. And for others, I, I would say, if you think they did worse than you expected, you're in the minority. Anyways, this has been One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM, please find me on Twitter and Instagram. Please shoot me a message, shoot me a follow, shoot me suggestions, shoot me whatever you want. Just don't shoot me. And uh, I'll be happy to engage. Um, you can find this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all your podcast services. And that's going to be it for this week. So we'll catch you next week. Have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>